and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Nick, and today I will be joined by the cast of our Kids on Bikes game. Today we are here to talk about this visit to Bromwell, Pennsylvania, and how everything went. Let's go around, and one last time, let's share names, pronouns if you'd like to, and the roles you played in the campaign, starting with CJ. I'm CJ Linton, and my pronouns are he, him, and I was the GM. Thank you very much. Emma? My name's Emma Covert. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I played the role of Fred Hudson. Thank you. Esther? Hi, my name is Esther Coe. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I played George. And last but not least for now, Percy. Uh, my name is Percy Hornack. I use he, they, and Z pronouns, and I played Hank Boswell. Also in our game was Alamak, who played Kodiak Thompson Lee Garcia-Smith, who is not able to join us right now, um, but we hope that they're having a great time. So to kick things off, uh, CJ, I wanted to ask you, what did you enjoy running about this game? This is your first time running Kids on Bikes, uh, as I understand it. So talk to us a little bit about what that was like for you. Yeah, um, this was my first time running Kids on Bikes bikes. Um, my favorite part was the players, which I think is true of like every game I run. I think even game systems that I connect with less, like if the players are having a good time and excited and engaged, like, sure, I'll run that once. I think the main thing that was different was like difficulty values for roles and kind of like if I'm a GM pre-planning what you might think of as module content and a player that wants to attempt something has a stat that, um, has that, that die is four. Um, and that difficulty value is set at a 12, like going in knowing that like that character is very likely to fail is just a different thing to think about um, than maybe some systems where you're working with one die with a modifier. Um, I think that was the, I mean, I've run a lot of games, um, so I, this didn't feel like super outside of the wheelhouse of, of anything I've run before. Just out of curiosity, what are some of the things you've run that you feel like very familiar with? Um, I run Cyberpunk Red every week. I have run a lot of Grant Howitt's very simple one shots. Um, and then I'm in as a player, the expanse and Lancer. So like pretty wide range of like crunchier systems and stats. Yeah. I was going to say if if running cyberpunk every week will, uh, make you feel very adept at any other game system, I feel like is my impression. (laughs) Um, great. Thank you for everybody else. I think this was everybody's first time playing kids on bikes. Is that correct? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit cast as well. Uh, what did you dig about the game? What did you enjoy? And was there anything, uh, that really surprised you about the game? Well, I'll, I'll go. Um, (laughs) I, I really, really loved this game. I have a lot of, um, like positive feelings about like the genre of like kids on bikes media. Like this is very close to my heart in a lot of ways in terms of just like doing like dumb kid stuff and, you know, like diving a little bit into the spooky and paranormal is very much my wheelhouse as just like a person. Um, so I really like, like the genre of the game and the things that the game sets out to do. 
but I was surprised by how sort of like intuitive the mechanics felt after a little while. And I was surprised that like in the course of the gameplay, I really didn't like care that much about whether I succeeded or failed. Like it's like something about the way that the game tells story made me feel so much more invested in just like what happens next as opposed to like, did I do the thing that I was trying to do? Um, But yeah, which was like a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I think um, the mechanic of I can't, I honestly, I don't even know that I know the mechanics of this game still. Um, but like you said, Percy, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I think CJ did such a wonderful job of like building this world and outlining the story to keep us engaged in what was happening. Um, but the mechanic where like, if you fail, then you get an extra point later, I think really lends itself to that feeling of like, we care more about the story than whether we succeed or fail at any given moment. Right. There's a little cool. like a uh, failure doesn't feel quite so uh, crushing, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's more. Uh, there's still opportunity within it, I think, is really built into the, the game mechanics, at least. Or maybe, you know, part in that and part of that is just how CJ told the story, just in a, in a way that was really felt not safe is the right term, but in a way to take those safe to take those risks, because, you know, I feel like I knew whether or not I succeeded or failed, quote unquote, it was still going to be an interesting story. Can I ask you about the story, CJ? I actually, I did want to ask how much of that did you have sort of planned out when you started the game and how much of it was stuff that you just made up on on the spot? I always try not to over prep because no matter how many games I run, I always know there is going to be something that I'm like, no one will care about this where everybody's (laughs) like, let's spend 10 minutes harassing this field trip tour guide. Um, (laughs) You asked us if we had any questions. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I I love that and I invite that. And also like that is not the thing that I thought we would spend that amount of time on. And that's totally okay. And genuinely one of the things I love about tabletop games. Um, I had sort of like the higher level clues figured out. I knew the mayor did it. I knew that you guys would eventually end up in this like sort of fiery cave situation under the city because we'd spent so much time um, talking about it in the world creation session. Um, but in terms of locations, we we created a lot more of them together than I thought that then we ended up going to. Um, so I tried to have like a couple little hooks at every place for you guys to sort of explore. Like if you had if you had gone to Kodiak's house and met all of his parents, that would have been a different avenue into the, into the thing. We had a diner that we never made it to lots of little things like that. So I guess it felt like a decent amount of prep to me, but like, had you, had you not gone anywhere, it wasn't like, dang, that's like three pages of notes I have to throw out, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you had kind of all the, all the setting elements and all the hooks hooks there, but maybe not as much in terms of quote unquote story. Yeah. If you, I don't know if any of you had the chance to look at the kids on bikes scenarios in the back of the book, but um, in terms of like what we built together, I would say was pretty comparable to like the setting component of that. And then there are like a whole 
there's a whole list of hooks for each of those scenarios that are all really cool. Um, and sort of the route of prep I went was generating like a similar thing for those, for the different locations that I thought you would, you would end up at. I feel like Bromwell was such a, an interesting place to hang out and it was made all the more interesting because of these characters. I wanted to ask, I guess this is initially for the players, but for everybody, because so much of the creation of Bromwell was collective. How did you enjoy playing with the kind of tropes and the world creation process that you all did in session zero? I mean, yeah, it was really fun. I think the the collaborative aspect of it was so great. I really loved the, you know, all mechanics of all going around and having sort of a randomized thing that we chose. For me, and, and I think this is larger in the kids and bikes, I, I mean, I grew up in a rural town in Pennsylvania, which is very run down and dying. And, you know, we have, we had a car industry come in and try to like, you know, we thought that it would bring all this stuff in and it didn't. And so in a way this, I, I don't know, it, it sort of, I really like this genre and I love this story because that almost helped me like, you know, imagine a world where that town I grew up was more interesting and had all these secrets and things in it and, and stuff that, you know, was as opposed to what it actually was, which was just boring. Um, so, yeah, but that that was really fun. And, and in the same way of being more of myself as I am now as a kid versus who I actually was as a kid in that weird way, you know, I think, yeah, which which was really fun. And again, to be in, like, you know, you think that, oh, man, if I was if I knew now what I knew back when I was a kid, I would do this, this and this, which I mean, you know if you were that you wouldn't be who you are now but still there is that sort of like desire like i would have been way more into nature and stuff as a kid so it was it was fun to like re-examine that through this lens and and yeah explore this incredible little town that you know we we built together but that cj just absolutely brought to life i had so much fun in session zero like i mm -hmm. i could just do that for 10 sessions, just like making yes, up characters. Yeah. Um, Come up with and I, food combinations. <laughs> yes. And just like random history that these characters share that you're like, Ugh! so it was a really fun process for me. And it, I feel like it was really different from playing the actual game as the character. Um, I feel like when in session zero, it was a lot more like activated in terms of like, oh, I'm coming up with ideas. I'm coming up with ideas. Versus playing the game, I was like, oh, look at all these really entertaining people saying funny shit. Oh, wait, I'm part of this. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> I got I to gotta participate, right? This is not just like a movie I'm watching. <laughs> I think like for me, I agree that like, the, the world building was really, really fun. And it was really cool to get to do that collaboratively in terms of like playing off of tropes and stuff in character creation. That was really fun as well, in part because like for me, like Hank is me leaning into like the the grubby little 11 year old childhood that I did not did not get to have um like this is me like <laughs> um doing all of the like fun things that I've seen in movies that I'm like ah oh, wouldn't it have been great to like you know yep. be a be a gross be a gross little boy so part of it was like part of it was very like personal in that way and part of it was also just like I find it really a lot easier to come up with a character if you're basing it on like a thing that is like legible to you from movies and TV and whatever. Like, I think it's really easy to seize on an idea like, oh, I'm going to play a bully or like, oh, I'm going to play the class clown sidekick guy 
um, and then figure out from there, okay, how am I making this different? How am I sort of like playing with this or how am I, you know, distinguishing this from like every other sidekick or, or whatever. Um, like that felt a lot easier in terms of like generating who my character was and who I was going to be. I actually had kind of a hard time with the trope aspect. Um, I think partly because I was playing a bully and I, I didn't like playing a bully. <laughs> and like by the end of the first session, I was like, oh, I don't want to be a bully anymore. Um, so, yeah. And then it, like it just kind of turned into like, OK, it, this feels very stock to me. And I was kind of struggling with like, how do I change this? And I think I just went with like, oh, I'm just going to have a character redemption because that's the easiest thing and the most but like fun that thing. also felt that felt at least from an you know another player's perspective that felt so genuine for george especially okay. with like the circumstances that we you know stuff was getting serious and and all these mysteries like the fact of the the bully you know quote-unquote redemption arc but just you know she's 13 she's figuring it out and like putting her in a source of stress like that felt so off like her at least from my perspective from me watching and like listening seeing you perform like george's story felt so authentic from there and it was like and it was so sweet and satisfying um i think it really helped actually that i felt like the three of you were like super bonded because you were all these awkward like weirdos (laughs) um and then i was like i was just dumping on you, but I felt like, oh, I want to be part of that. And like, I think that's how bullies actually feel. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I will also say like, as a GM, I love when players make choices to like select a trope or a, a character with a, a history where they're going to create some of the conflict, even though it is like definitely a challenging role to take on so it was enjoyable really enjoyable knowing like oh there are some situations that maybe these like at least on the surface more initially sympathetic characters are going to react to and then like George is going to react in a different way and that is going to be fun and dynamic for the story in like a way that I think we wouldn't have had had you not made the decision to play that character yeah, and also, you know, not to harp on George, but I loved her so much. But, like, the, we, when we talked about, you know, her being older and talking about how she's older, like, I still, I think there were, it was interesting to see that trope sort of played with where there were moments that I genuinely, you know, we teased her of, like, oh, you're the adult. But, like, I did feel that sort of protectiveness from her on a genuine level, like, in certain areas, which was really, really sweet to see, you know, taking care of the, being like, I am the adult and I have to take care of these little weirdos. I felt like all of the children actually grew like a lot in some ways over the over the course of the two sessions. Did that feel true uh, for for you two as well, Percy and Emma? And if so, was that like an intentional choice on your part or did it just kind of happen? Yeah, I think part of the like growth that I was like secretly hoping for at the beginning was that like we started right with these like two people, RIP Sandy. (laughs) Truly R.I.P. Sandy the Sandstone, who's actually just a regular rock. Um, (laughs) One of my like secret hopes was that like we had these like two pairs of people who knew each other and then they didn't know the other two. And I was like, we have to gel as a group. We have to become like a like a like a group of four that's like all friends. And then there's also Micah, who became a a fifth person in our group of friends. Like that was part of my hope is that we would all sort of like grow together through whatever circumstances we encountered And I didn't necessarily know in advance, like, oh, I want Hank to become like this. But I was sort of like, what happens when you have this kid who like 
only understands the real world through the context of like action movies and what happens when that person encounters like real actual danger. (laughs) Um, And I don't like know how much of like whatever happened like read or like came across in like the story that we told together. But I was sort of like, oh, like that has that has changed him fundamentally. Um, So I was definitely like here's a really specific given circumstance that I'm starting from that will definitely change through whatever story happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to try to, you know, I'd have to listen, I think again, because in the moment I didn't really necessarily feel a lot of change for, with Fred, you know, certainly, you know, in a, in some way, I think, you know, it's, it was like, oh, some of her fears are justified because all of her preparation, you know, I was I was binding a man with dental floss by the end. And it was like, right. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I think being, you know, some of the, the connections with the other kids, I think. Uh, I listen, Benny, I love Benny. Benny, the true MVP of the story next to Sandy. Shout out to a Rest king. <laughs> Shout out to a short 30-something king. I don't know if he's canonically short, but I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> but but no, I, I do think that in there were little moments, especially that that brought that out. You know, uh, Fred maybe taking those chances. You know, I, I really I, I really wanted going in for something with Fred and George to sort of reconnect. And I felt that like with with George's sort of progression arc, and like in the beginning, like, you know, George. Uh, Fred went after George uh, in the uh, in the the dining hall and then also sort of like calling her you know maybe she would have taken that rejection but in the end sort of reaching out again I I don't think I had you know I didn't anticipate that initially so that was sort of a fun thing to feel like you know what you know and, and again I you know playing her as this little sort of me as I am now a little bit early you know as I was I wasn't as into like nature and stuff as a kid as I am now but that but with the anxiety that I've had all my life and sort of, you know, taking that step of overcoming that and being like, I'm going to take a chance and, and see how she's doing and like that. So like in, in little areas, yeah, I do. I do feel that there was some change in that. And it, again, if anything, with all of this stuff, I just wanted to know more because it was so the, the taste we got of these characters in this world was so much fun. I think there's so much more I, I you know, would have liked to have seen from them in uh, different circumstances because it's all just it's all just was really, really fun and wonderful. Eee, that's always our favorite thing to hear in these conversations. <laughs> it was like, I could, yeah, I could see it. Yeah. You know, I could see a little a little animated show about, you know, these kids or something get some gravity falls or something like that, you yes. know? Can we do Absolutely. can we do a, a second uh run of sessions where they all go to drama camp? I would run that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Wait, is, it, is is that when we is that when we do by the author of Lady Windermere's fan? But it's like the kids at drama camp? I mean I I think it would be very funny. I think it would be very, very good. Um we gotta convince we, we all first we first all gotta convince George to come to drama camp with us. Oh, I think I think George is there. Hell I think yeah. George is coming. <laughs> she pretends she doesn't want to be there, but she actually signed up months ago. Well, <laughs> she she doesn't want to be at drama camp, but she's gonna be a star. So oh, this is just <laughs> 
That's very good. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to de- I didn't mean to derail. Um, I, I guess I'll tell like a little secret though, is that one thing that I was thinking about um, as like, as Hank in the very beginning is I was like, oh, like maybe Hank feels a little jealous of Cody and Micah, like maybe, and like, maybe that would be, and that's the thing that I ended up exploring at all. But I was like, oh, like, like that's a, that's a feeling that, that Hank has is like, that's my, like, that's my friend. And like, I'm used to having, like being his only friend. <laughs> um, but here's this other person. I, I want to ask, this is switching gears a little bit to real life, but I did want to ask as well, all of you are, you know, artistic, creative people uh, in, in various ways, writers, photographers, performers, dramaturgs. Um, so I wanted to ask how you felt your artistic and creative practices, uh, like affected how you approached the game, if they did at all. I'm happy to speak to that. Um so I was definitely a writer before I got into tabletop games. And then I am also a dramaturg. And I think on a world building level, I think I am trying to like center player experience in a way that is maybe not dissimilar from how you're thinking about like supporting your creative team and and your production staff and your audience members engaging with work, like regardless of the content of that work. Um, and then, and then within the session itself, I think something that comes up a lot in tabletop games is where you are encountering a situation and you don't immediately know what to do, or you don't immediately have like an air in character response to that. And, um, I think there's a lot of like very good dramaturgical literature about asking questions and making sure you're like, meeting a play where it is I'm thinking of like a visit to a small planet specifically like okay we're in a situation the players don't seem to know what to do what questions can I ask or what information can I reframe to like help us continue moving forward in the story we're telling together is like always one of my first impulses I love that and um I think my approach to tabletop games has been character driven, which is the same as my approach to writing. And um, so that that feels like a very um, solid place for me to start. Like, it's kind of the thing I hang on to when I'm like, I don't really know what the mechanics are or how to do it or if it's right. But like, that's okay. I'm just going to play my character. (laughs) Um, But I actually think that I have noticed that playing tabletop games has actually impacted my writing more than the other way around, I think, Um, because I am a person that tends to get really uh, overwhelmed by plot and like what happens next. And so being in this experience, especially with other people who are also creative, um, where like, I don't know, I have no idea what's going to happen, you know, in the next five minutes, but like things keep happening just out of a natural progression. Um, And then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, there's this whole story that came out of it. And so when I'm writing, I'm like, it's okay, just keep going. It'll come. It will come. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. I'm really glad to hear you say that, actually, Esther. That's I'm really excited to hear that. Um, I feel I feel really similarly in that, like, yeah, I'm 
also a dramaturg and I'm used to like the collaborative, like the world building questions that we did is a thing that I do in almost every rehearsal process that I'm in, because like, it's such a good way to kind of get everybody participating in like the thing that we're doing. But I felt similarly in terms of like, I was not worried about actively like trying to do like, I was not worried about doing the thing that like would be successful or like doing the thing that felt most likely to advance the plot. Like I was just kind of like, what's interesting, like what's fun to play off of all of the other people here with because everybody had such a like strong character who was like, do you know, everybody had like their thing that they did. So it was really, really fun to just sort of be like, okay, like I can trust all of the people like in this session with me to like respond to the thing that I'm offering. So like I can just like put the most interesting thing or like put the thing that I want to do out and trust that something will happen because of it, as opposed to like other games I've played where it is sort of like, oh, I have to like figure out what the correct TM thing to do is. Yeah, I I, I definitely know that, especially with, I, I think for me, it's more of a problem I has, have of, as a GM and something that I then as a player, whereas I feel like with a player, I definitely do feel the, the Esther thing of I'm, 90% care. I'm like character driven. What story and, and what story am I telling with this character? I know for me as a visual artist, I kind of have, I can't really pin down a character until I can see them. And, you know, like until I've drawn them once and like, they're usually, they cut some kind of distinct figure. So that, and, and from that, I sort of get the personality and things like that. So this was, yeah, this was definitely a really interesting uh, way for me to, to, because I I didn't have necessarily the prep time I usually do for for this for these characters and things like that. Like usually I'll do like these whole you know studies and things, and so I had to sort of get into Fred a little quicker. But it felt it felt really natural, and I think part of that is I sometimes intentionally, mostly unintentionally, make characters that have one strong, at least one strong aspect that are that is me, or that is something that I am like dealing with in my life at the moment, or some personality trait of mine. And sometimes I'll go in knowing like, oh yeah, this is, you know, about my commitment issues, or this is about this, or this, or anxiety or something. And other times, like years later, I'll be like, oh my gosh, this side thing that I did as a character was totally about this thing going on in my real life. And I had no idea. And oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. But also like, I think I worked <laughs> through that because of this. And uh, which I think is kind of the beauty of, of tabletop RPGs. You know, they're collaborative storytelling, but they're a weird kind of therapy sometimes too. <laughs> and like I mentioned before, Fred was a lot of you know, not only the anxiety that I, I, I struggle with, especially as a child and, you know, being wanting to be in control and having everything, you know, it, basically, if you think that if you do everything correct, everything will be OK, which is obviously not how the world works. Uh, and that was really interesting to, you know, to put into the brain of a 12 year old and especially with all these goobers and, you know, all these other kids that are running around within this weird, weird town that was really fun to explore as as an artist and as a storyteller which, you know, is also just a whole thing with the genre of playing kids is how do you play a kid? Like, it's so difficult to do that, but it was so much fun. And I, I, and I found myself in the midst of it worrying less about playing a kid and just playing a person, which I was really worried about going into. And, you know, again, 
in a large part because of CJ being such a fantastic GM and Percy and Ella and Esther and everybody just creating this natural world that uh, like you said earlier, Esther, about coming in and being like, oh, gosh, like I'm with all these people and I have to be funny and it's a show. And like that all just melted away. And I just like was able to just have fun with you guys, which I think made a fantastic story. I'm really curious whether anyone else felt that like concern about playing a kid or like what your experience was like playing a kid, because I realized when I was prepping this, I was like, oh, I I don't think I've ever had a role playing opportunity to play a kid. For like a long, you know, like like because I GM a lot, so like I've certainly impersonated a kid briefly before, but not as for a like GM. A whole there are no children PC. in my world. I refuse. <laughs> I don't know how they. They're just there. I we don't we don't talk about it because it's scary. It's it's you know you want to do them justice in a way. You know you don't want to oversimplify them, but it's it's you know i mean we're all kids in a way but it, it is a very difficult I, at least from my personal experience a very difficult balance to you know walk but again with this game within a, a, a you know a session or two i that was all gone and i just was the person the the this young you know person who's figuring it out and and which was really really fun that's so funny, Navy. I love play. I love playing children because they are so uninhibited and they say the things that they. <laughs> That's what like. it was. That's what it was. Was leaning into. I think that 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 just like saying what you're feeling or doing what you want. I think was the biggest thing for me of being like, oh, I'm just gonna do this. Yeah, like I. Yeah, it it is it is so much fun for me because you like have an excuse to not worry about like what are the rules and like what are you know like what's legal like well not what's legal but like um like you like you farting could just not... in the library is illegal hank <laughs> well i don't care um <laughs> but yeah like i i find playing characters who have an excuse to be really uninhibited and be impulsive and just like do the things that they want to do really really freeing um i yeah i, I find it really fun and i put i play like i love playing children and i love playing teenagers um yeah I also love playing kids and I, even as a, like a performer playing kids is always like my jam. Uh, just cause it's, it is so much fun. It, it does naturally bring that sense of play into whatever you're doing so that it's not like, what is this like deep tortured character that I need to understand? It's just like, nah, follow your impulses. Um, and I also love that, like, you don't have to play a kid, right? Like you just, Kids can be smart. Kids can be dumb. Kids can be mature. They can like it doesn't really matter. So, um, yeah, I I I really like like. Kids. Yeah, I think once you get over that, that, that for me, once I stopped thinking of it as playing a kid, I was able to play a kid. Yeah. Well, I also feel like we all have like I have so many more things to draw on if I'm thinking about like what is it like to play a middle schooler than if I'm trying to play like a, a lawyer or something, right? Like I have to imagine a lot more for that. <laughs> Um, a lot less research. <laughs> well, exactly. Like I, like I went to middle school. I was like, well, I was, I was actually not the shithead class clown. I was terrified, <laughs> very bad social anxiety, and was not like Hank at all. Um, but like, I know people like that, and like, I, yeah, like I can just think back to field trips that I was on when I was in middle school, and like play around with that. Like, it's all similar to like the tropes and everything that are built into the game. Like, it all feels really familiar to me. Um. And there's like a joy in like revisiting that as well. I think I also think about it similarly to like 
theater for young audiences where it's like, yes, this, like maybe this is for kids and maybe the characters are kids, but also like kids are very fucking smart. And if you are treating them as two dimensional or not considering like that complexity of experience and maybe how much they've already gone through, like they're going to see through that and it's like not going to land in the way that you would hope. And also like, this was my first time running kids on bikes and throughout it, I was like, have you guys like played a lot of kids and tabletop games before? Because this feels like so well executed and delightful in like a way that intellectually I think I expected, but maybe didn't like, just couldn't anticipate like that emotional experience until we were actually in it. So kudos to all of you. Um, oh my God. I, I also, cause Nick, you, you mentioned we don't abide by the Geneva convention and some of those one-liners from Cody that I'm like, oh my gosh, like what child God. would come up with this? But like, of course, Cody would, would come absolutely. up with this. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sad Ella's not here because man, they just, there were some things they said that I still, there was something they said, there was like a passive aggressive thing they said. They just kept therapying George in like a passive aggressive way and they would have have these one-liners about like oh she's dealing with her own issues and that's not our and I was just like (laughs) but also that is exactly a thing that a kid growing up with Cody's parents would say around uh, like say to other people and just be like yeah yep okay yeah we don't abide by the Geneva convention oh man oh that was good There were there were a lot of good one liars. I found myself thinking this morning, I, and I wish Ella were here, but I, I found myself thinking I can't tell if I really want to meet Cody's parents or if I would find them like entirely unbearable. You know, like it's one or the other, but no Both. middle ground. Both. <laughs> yes, I want to meet them, and I want to be able to leave when I need to, and also <laughs> I love them, and also it's it, a lot of complicated feelings to all of Cody's parents, specifically all together. This is my biggest regret about our game is that I wish we had met Cody, all of Cody's caregivers. Oh God, just like, just like. Just like a dinner party with all of the parents and the kids or something. Like, just what that would look like. Oh, Lord. Oh, my goodness. CJ plays eight NPCs in one scene. (laughs) More than eight if we're including all of Cody's parents. And and if the partners are invited, too. And then just... but But the sheer different dynamics in that room. Good Lord. I end up playing so many NPCs all the time in my <laughs> cyberpunk game and sometimes they have combat stat blocks so just like oh yeah the role playing part would have been totally fine like honestly that was just one of my regrets to too for a good yeah. 10 minutes while we're all enraptured <laughs> I, did, I did want to ask um Percy, you mentioned one of your regrets was not getting to meet Cody's parents at more uh, length. Was there anything else that anybody wishes they had done differently? Like now that you're looking back, whether that's an impulse you wish you had followed or maybe an impulse you wish that you did follow that you wish you hadn't. (laughs) I think something that always comes to mind for me, like when we build out a really rich world is like, I would have loved to, to be able to like feature Cody's parents and, um, Emma, you developed a really lovely relationship with Frank and her dad that we didn't really get to see any of. And then we had some like other fun locations. So just like knowing that for every place we did spend a lot of time and get to explore, there were like 
three or four, we didn't. Um, so that was sort of that. I think that was the main bummer for me. And I found myself thinking sometimes like, how do I get people like out of this location and into the next one? And then reminding myself that like, actually it is fine to like sit in the moment and not have to go through everything that we built as a part of that world building session. Yeah. And that, that definitely was something that I, I, you know, it was, it's not something I regret because I think the choices that we all made made sense for the story and made sense in the moment. But it is one of those things again, like, you know, in another world where, you know, just based on the nature of things, we get to play some more or explore more of those things. The, the relationship between Fred and, and Frank uh, was very near and dear to my heart. And we got a little bit of it. And I definitely, there's another world in which I would have loved to explore that some more. Um, as well as see, yeah, the, the parent and kid dynamics, I think, especially playing kids and playing these kids specifically. And I, I think a lot of, a lot of us put, at least from what I saw, uh, a good bit of, really interesting dynamics with, with the, the parents and the kids that they sort of shaped. Uh, and you know, yeah, I think, I think in another world, I would have loved to have seen that some more, but also we were in a mine and we were kind of busy. (laughs) It was on fire. Kind of. Yes. Uh, (laughs) this, this is not a regret necessarily, but, um, I remember like, I think like a day or two after we finished our last session, I was like in the shower and I had a moment where I was like, man, I really wish I had played like a really dumb character. Um, and then I was like, <laughs> also, it would have been really fun to play like like a like a foreign exchange student who assumes that all of this is normal <laughs> because everything is weird. Like I just kept coming up with more characters for this world. So I just wish I could play all of them. <laughs> You've called me out on my strategy, which is play a really dumb character. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but you weren't dumb. You had your um, adventure movie knowledge, which was actually very mm-hmm. useful. Mm-hmm. Um, my hat. personal... My personal regret as Percy was not reviewing some more action films before we recorded, lest I could have like um, stuck some more things in. My other like regret as a player is not like making the most of like, like I feel like there were some missed opportunities, I think, with Micah where we like, mm. I was like, oh, like I feel like we didn't necessarily explore like what that shared NPC feeling is to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And that would have been really, would have been really fun. Although it was extremely convenient that like... <laughs> Micah was like, I want to go to the old town hall. And we were like, great, we're going. I mean, yeah. <laughs> do you want to go deeper into the old town yeah. hall? Yes. <laughs> we'll go. Sure. We'll go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that any quote unquote regrets I have are more that this was such a lovely taste of the game system and of these characters and of this world that made me want more and, and, and made me because of how much fun it was, you know, it was less of a regretting what I did in the moment more being like, Oh, and then what would happen if this, and like, what about this and this kind of thing that, you know, is, is more sweet than bittersweet, I think, because it just spent, it was, you know, it was that much fun and that good. I had a similar thought, um, Percy, regarding um, Micah as the powered character, because something like that is very, I have like, as a GM who loves GMing, I have a preference for GM'd games, but I think sometimes you lose something really lovely about like belonging outside belonging games, for example, where like everybody shares the setting elements and can move the story forward in that way, or other games that like tarot draw games where there's no GM, things like that. Um, 
And so like the powered character is this really lovely space in between a totally GMless game and like an opportunity for the players to have more control over the story. But I also to an extent felt like it was like any other mechanic where when people are really into the story and into the moment, like sometimes you look up and it's like, oh, maybe I should have asked for a role or maybe like I should have paused to remind people how the powered character works. But so long as as everybody's having a good time, like with the shared story like that, that seems fine. Like we got through it. We had a good time. Yeah, I think that that's I realized I forgot to say that that was one of those things of that powered character. I've never like done a game where there is, you know, such play like a player sort of shared NPC. And I thought that was so cool that that was one of those aspects that I wanted to, you know, play more of Kids on Bikes and play more of that to really get the chance to explore that. Because when we did, like, there were moments where like one of us would be like, oh my gosh, wait, Mike, like reminding each other sort of what we could do, which was so much fun to do. And I think, you know, given more time and stuff, that would be really, really interesting to explore. Yeah, like I remember like the moment where Micah's um, loves animals transformed into like can talk to animals was like, ah, oh, that's so cool. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. And like more moments like that would have been really cool. Cast, I was wondering, um, do are there any questions that you three have that you want to ask CJ before we wrap up? And I know there's one from Percy. Um, it's like a it's like a silly, but I'm just curious about it because I was because the like episode that aired most recently as we're recording this had a moment where like Hank very well could have like gotten sucked into one of the gelatinous clouds and I'm curious like would we have ended up in like the scary room at Bromcom if that had happened just like alone absolutely (laughs) that's so sad (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think the like on one hand oh no splitting the party but I think that would have been like a very good clue that the gelatinous cubes are sort of these like dimensional they're they're not following the laws of physics and like have this sort of teleportation aspect to them that i think you all could have used in a fun way to reunite so that would have been extremely fun yeah yeah because when it happened i remember being like oh am i gonna ruin this game by rolling (laughs) early and doing something reckless but like i know you well enough to know that like of course it wouldn't ruin anything but like i was like oh no (laughs) um although in the moment i definitely I don't know if you all thought this, but I was definitely like, I will die if like my character will simply die if I go into one of these cubes. I actually have a a rule for every like set of people I play with that I like won't kill your character unless you want me to, regardless of what the game system says. I just think it's Mm. like shitty for people to do that without the sort of like discussion up front um, with players about what they're looking for, even if it's a game like D&D like yeah i mean in in my in my own games i joke that uh you die when i when you you get to die when i let you like kind of in a but in a way that is for me obviously and don't let my players hear this because i need the fear of god in them at all times but uh just keep them in check but genuinely like there have been some very serious moments and you know, what happens, happens. And I think part of it is the world that you're in, you know, obviously in certain areas of D&D, there's like options. Like I know that if one of my characters would die, the others would chase them into the afterlife or something. But at the same time, for me, it is this sort of unspoken rule of the story. This uh, this character gets is going to be done when their story is told. Whatever that looks like for the player, that's when that story ends, you know, rather than just, you know, me taking it out from under them because of a mistake necessarily 
And I definitely felt that in this. And, you know, part of it was, you know, playing as kids, but also just I, again, that whole through line, I, I definitely felt that CJ as a GM, I felt that care and that, you know, dedication to the story that I never, you know, I never doubted you or the story that you were telling for a second. And that 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 provided a lot of comfort, even when I was nervous about being a player doing this or this, I always knew that, like, it's going to end up where it's going to end up. And that's going to be the story that's told. Mostly, I just mean like the stakes felt very high. Like I was definitely like, oh, I'm doing a really reckless thing. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, I'm doing a really reckless thing. Absolutely reckless <laughs> and delightful just a for mad that reason. Lad. I listen, everybody needs one character who will spring the obvious trap or wow, do the card. obvious, the obvious dumb thing. Because, well, because I've been a GM so many times where like my players are very smart. So they'll see a thing that is like clearly like some kind of trap or like some kind of trick and they'll be like, haha, I I will not engage with this. And I'm like, oh, but <laughs> but I felt very clever when I put that together. Um, so when I'm a player, sometimes I'm like, hmm, like, let me let me do the thing that is like just clearly this not big red button. I mean, you put it here. So <laughs> let's see what it let's see what it does, because like, yeah, especially in a story like this, where like it is so narratively driven that I was just sort of like whatever happens is interesting. So like. And I, I think that also sort of gets back to how all of you sort of selected like tropes and character aspects that like without like, I mean, as far as I know, you did not collude before, but like really in a lovely way, moved the story forward, like knowing that if there was something interesting, um, Percy, that Hank was going to engage with that um, and knowing that like if there was a situation that maybe the characters didn't immediately have a tool or solution to solve that Fred would be like actually dental floss and a disposable <laughs> camera um I have and, like a knowing yeah <laughs> um and and George like driving some of those more interpersonal relationship moments and like Cody being re- like reliably bringing you guys mm. back together when there was discord mm. because he just had this very intense like level of emotional awareness for a child his age like all of that was so lovely in advancing the story yeah that's another reason why i'm sad ella can't be here i really i really you know cody was kind of the very insistent heart of our group in a way that was so endearing but you like you said really i i I always knew that cody would do or say something that would bring us back together and and that was again just one aspect of how much fun this group was and how like you said i I mean as far as i know we didn't collaborate but it managed to balance so well in a way oh it it was just fun it was just fun i know i say it a lot but it's true I feel like that's the benefit of systems that do character creation collaboratively, because like, I think like we didn't collude beforehand, but I do like, I do think like, as we were talking with each other and building things out, I was just sort of like, oh, like, this is an interesting choice because of this choice this other person made. Like, oh, if you're this way, then maybe, you know, then maybe this is this other way or like giving other characters like traits in the questions that you are answering about them to just sort of be like, oh, this is sort of what I'm getting from you. And here's how I might answer this question is really, I think, fun and generative. Yeah, I I found the questions, especially about character relationships, where um, I, I, it almost felt like I was like invading other people's characters when I was like making stuff up about their yeah. past. But then it gave the sense of like, ownership with all of the characters too which is cool it's interesting because i feel like in some like tabletop circles that's very much a 
like have a faux pas to you know to 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 like insert something into another character's like backstory but in this game it's very much built into the game and i think it did really like make the relate it deepened the relationships between all of you in really lovely ways so that was that was an interesting thing for me to see from the outside looking in when i feel like i remember us having moments of like this is what I'm thinking. What do you feel? Like, how does that feel to you? Does this make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Sort of like offering yeah, you something. you all check in with each other. Yeah, just like offering something. And then that person could kind of take it and be like, oh, well, I think actually it might be this. I think this is what's true about that. I think this is like an additional detail. But it's also really nice because there was so many like really specific like things that tell you so, like the fact that like Hank goes and like terrorizes the library is such a specific <laughs> thing to know about a character but it is so helpful for me as a player to be like oh like yeah that makes sense that I can like figure out all of these other things that this person does based on this detail that somebody else gave me we're running low on time but I did want to give CJ uh, a chance to ask all of all of the players any questions that you wanted to ask them did you want to open up some of these. Yeah, I, I think we we covered um some of them already. Um so, but I would love just to know for each of you what for your own character what was sort of your favorite moment throughout the game with them. Tying up and threatening a grown man was pretty fun. <laughs> I will say at least for at least for me as Fred just <laughs> I I'll, I won't forget that like I have such an intense visual of that scene of like Hank threatening with his butt and like all these and then just <laughs> and then just Fred in the background with a knife. That was that was one of those moments that that stuck and like you know there are the sweet moments. I mean you know you know calling George. Uh, I really I really was glad that I, you know, took, felt that and and felt that George was at the point where, you know, she would be receptive to that. But man, there's something about being a 12 year old with a knife. (laughs) Um, The thing that jumps out to me, this isn't really a character moment, but um, the whole scene when, was it Fred and I or Cody and I were in the, the like room? I think it was Cody, right? Um, in the room and like the gelatinous cubes were coming down on us. Like I yes. felt mm-hmm. so much like intense. I was really there. The stakes are so high. What am I going to do? And then um, you freaking spring. Uh, oh my God. What's her name? The powered character on us. And my I was God. just like, oh, oh my God. What is happening? Like I was so invested in that moment. Um, I think I like honorable mention to Hank's action movie slide down the rope ladder into the mine. Um, but I think my favorite is, uh, like the choice that I like enjoyed the, the most, um, is Hank's flair for the dramatic and his, uh, when Benny came into the, um, the underground lab and Hank was like, I won't, I will not hide. I will, I will stand. <laughs> <laughs> I will freeze in place and nobody he will just... see me. Oh, Hank. Oh, Hank. <laughs> and then the inexplicable injury. Oh yes. my god. <laughs> Hank's injured Hank's leg. Oh, I... and, the, and the callback of it like ooh, ooh. What are you supposed to do when you, your charm dies a d20? <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and you give the most convincing performance of your life, which is why we need to bring the kids to drama camps. <laughs> I would I would love to see Hank's like uh, uh, death scene in this drama camp production of Les Miserables. Hank, Hank um, will insert a death scene into any play. It's the it's the it's the what is a, it's that it's that trope of how you know it's like it's the characters that take thirty minutes to die, or it's the two that are like who gets to die first, and like the one person collapses and the other person's like <clears throat> like that is fully Hank. Just like <laughs> he's play he's in the play within. The play within Midsummer Night's Dream, except yes. he's playing both oh Pyramus God. and yes, Bisbee. He yes. <laughs> yes, he is. He's, he is bottom and everyone. He's every character. He's like, no, 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 this is how you do it. Well, he'll be in like a Shakespeare play and he'll be like, this is really boring, actually. Like, it'll be like a love scene and he'll just be like, well, wouldn't it be funny if someone died right now? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's just in the middle. It's the, it's the, it's the, what's the Michael Scott of every, you know, the, the, the thing of it's always more dramatic when somebody ha- comes in with a weapon and just like him be like FBI at every given moment. That's just Hank of just being like, how can I, it, like, you want it to be the most dramatic that it can be and just. Does Hank mm, grow up to be all, Michael Scott? Kiss. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, no, wait, wait, I take it back. I take it back. I think oh, Hank is too, it, like, loves his friends too much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Hank has friends, as we know, my young Michael Scott did not. So that's. He, yes, he, he is. He's, he's wholesome and funny and beloved by all. And that's, yes. And that yes. must be true. Uh, great. Well, I, I think we should probably wrap up here, but I want to give everybody the chances. Any last things you want to add? Just thank you all. This was really, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was, again, I can't overemphasize sort of how nervous I felt coming in. And it was just such a wonderful, wonderful experience. Like mechanically wise, learning a new game, playing with new people I'd never played before with, it was everything I could have wished and more. Yeah, I so the only GMs I've ever had are in this Zoom room, and you are both so amazing that I think I have been spoiled for all TTRPGs in the future. So thank you. <laughs> um, I think my last two things are so much love to Ella and their wonderful character, Cody, yes. because truly he brought so much mm. to the game. Um and then, like, this was my first time uh, GMing for a recording. And, I mean, you experienced my GMing. I don't do character voices. And sometimes, like, the uh, visual descriptions are not my strongest uh, suit from an, on an improv basis. So it was, like, very lovely and exciting to, to get to do this with, with you guys. Well, thank you all so much. It was such a joy to to listen to you all create together. And it's been such a such a pleasure hearing the episodes come out week after week. Um, so, yeah, thank thank you for joining us one last time. Thank you for all your work. And for our listeners, uh, be sure to tune in next week when Todd and Percy and I will explain Bigfoot. Uh, more precisely, we're going to explain our next game, Oh Dang, Bigfoot Stole My Car with My Friend's Birthday Party Inside, which is exactly what it sounds like. I will um, save oh, my presentation I can't on... wait to listen to that. <laughs> I'll save my cryptid presentation for another time. At least send us the PowerPoint. Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel-Dean. 
Our Kids on Bikes game features CJ Linton as the GM, Ella Mock as Cody Thompson-Lee Garcia-Smith, Percival Hornack as Hank Boswell, Emma Covert as Fred Hudson, and Esther Yumiko as George Prevanathan. Kids on Bikes was written by Jonathan Gilmore and Doug Lewandowski and published by Hunter's Entertainment with Renegade Game Studios and Infectious Play Publishing. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DNDramaNerds. Check out cast bios on our website, DungeonsAndDramaNerds.com. And tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. Dungeons and Drama Nerds.